Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Chris, Julie, and Zach. Amen. What a glorious thought to know that our name is written down in glory, never to be erased. Now, I want to ask you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23. We'll be focusing on verses 39 through 43. Now, there's a reason that we're looking back at Leviticus. In fact, there are two reasons that we're doing this today. Next week, we'll be back in the Gospel of John, but for today, we wanted to look in Leviticus. First reason for the detour is this. We'll be sharing communion a little bit later. Lord's Supper is associated with the Passover. And as I was praying through this and thinking through this, I wanted to step back and see how to, to look at how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the feasts, not just Passover. But all of them. But to deal with all seven feasts in one 20, 35 minute sermon would be a little bit challenging. So I decided to bring it down just to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. To show how Jesus is the fulfillment of that feast and how communion represents that. So that's the first reason. Now the second reason for this detour to Leviticus is the announcement that I'm about to make regarding our children's ministry and some changes that will be taking place. Beginning next week, our children's worship and nursery will resume. They'll be resuming during the 11 a.m. service only. So starting next week, during the 11 a.m. service, we'll be offering our nursery and our children's worship. Now, obviously, particularly in regards to children's worship, there's going to be some changes that were necessitated due to the pandemic. For example, we're going to be forced to limit the number of children that can attend children's worship to 15. That's just simply a space issue to allow the children to spread out. Each child will have their own carpet that they'll be on, this huge carpet square that, of course, will be disinfected and cleaned after every, every uh, children's worship. Also, as the children go into children's worship, the temperatures will be, their temperatures will be taken as they sign in. And also, teachers and volunteers will be wearing masks or face shields. Now, masks will be optional for the children. And if a child decides that they want to wear a mask while they're in children's worship, we will have child-sized disposable masks available. So those are the changes that are coming about due to the pandemic. But there is one change that's going to be made that is not based upon the pandemic, but has come as we have been examining our philosophy and how we approach children's worship. And I want to make, make this announcement here because it impacts all of us as a church family. The children will be staying in the worship service till just before the morning message. In other words, all the children will be in here Then, just before the, the preacher stands, whether it be me or Nathan or whoever is preaching that day, stands to preach. Then they will be dismissed to go up over to children's service. So in other words, the children will be a part of our congregational singing. They'll witness the baptisms. They'll be a part of the scripture reading and the prayer. But then when it comes time to preaching, we're going to dismiss them so that they can hear a message that is more focused to their 
level, to their educational needs at that point, because I recognize I don't even understand everything that I say. So that's one of the changes that's going to be taking place. But I wanted to use this morning not only to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles and Communion, but to help us understand why we are making that change. Why we believe it's important for the children to be a part of our congregational worship. So with that in mind, I direct your attention to Leviticus 23. This describes what is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, the previous verses, verses 33 through 38, also describe how it begins. The, this feast would be seven days long. They would start on the first day and have what's called a holy convocation. In other words, there'd be no normal work done. Everything would come to a stop. So it would start with a time of prayer. Then on the eighth day, okay, the feast ends on the seventh, but they'd have one final day where there'd be another convocation. In other words, work would stop again, so they would focus on prayer and worship. Now, verse 39. On the 15th day of the seventh month, now, the seventh month in the Jewish calendar overlaps between September and October. So we'd be getting into the season where there would not only be the Feast of Tabernacles, but Passover, not Passover, uh, the Day of Atonement would be coming up and some other feast of that time. So September, October. So on this 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the Feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and, and balls of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, give us wisdom to understand this text and how it teaches us about Jesus. Father, help us to not only understand, but to apply this to our lives and to our congregational life, that in all things you may be glorified and honored. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, there are two main points that I want to make regard to communion and the changes that we are making in children's worship. And the first is this. When we worship together corporately, by corporately, I mean coming together, not just as an individual in our homes, but gathering together. We are confessing that we are a community defined by our faith in Jesus. Our very actions of gathering, whether it be here or as the pandemic has necessitated online, we are making a confession that we are the people of God. Now, our world focuses upon the individual. And often only defines community by where you live. What community do you live in is a question that may be asked. Or we define a community by what it's fighting for or maybe by even something like ethnicity. But as a church, we stand in contrast to that. 
Our community is defined by Jesus. And Jesus transcends all of those things. That's why even, even if you were to travel and you were to visit another church, you are a part of the community of faith gathering there on that Sunday morning. Now each of the feasts that were celebrated, and there were seven of them in the Old Testament, were community-minded in nature. They were public feasts. And while the sacrifices in the Old Testament may have been made for the individual, in other words, you might bring a lamb for your sins, that sacrifice was made in the context of community. It was never just about Jesus and me or just Jesus and you. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was more than any other feast a celebration of life together. Notice what it says there. They were to gather these different types of branches. That's verse 40. And then it tells them exactly what they were supposed to do with these branches. They were supposed to build booths. Verse 42. You shall dwell in booths. Tents. They were supposed to take these branches and build these booths, tents, or lean-tos to live in next to one another for a week. So what I want you to imagine is this. Not these tents laid outside by side, but imagine a huge RV park. All right, because that's basically what it was. They were camping out together for a week. A little bit of redneck there in the Bible. That's exactly what it was. And they were to do this for a purpose. Now, think about what happens when you are away for a week. There are good times, isn't there? Times of celebration, laughter, remembering. But now if you're camping with family, that means that sometimes there could be frustrations. Because even if you're on vacation, does that mean that arguments take a break? Frustrations? No, just sit down. Just sit down. We'll get there when we get there. I'm not the only one that happens to, is it? That's part of life together. Feelings can get hurt. Frustrations happen. Fights can break out. I remember... There was a period in our family's history when we went on vacation for about three years. The first thing we did after we checked into the hotel was to find the nearest first assist clinic. Because we went through a period where one year we were on vacation in Texas, Samuel was bit by a stray cat. So we had to go and be sure and rabies and all that stuff. But he was fine. The cat wasn't rabid. But we went to the first assist. Ellen fell. Uh, the next year on a boardwalk in Florida got a huge splinter in her knee to the first assist. Jody, next year, got a sinus infection. Where are we at the first assist? It was like, let's make reservations at the hotel and the doctor will cover both at the same time. Things happen, even when you're on vacation. That's the stuff of life. Now, I mention that because of this. I know that when children are present in worship, there's this fear of like, well, I just want them to sit still. I want to be clear. No one in this church expects a six-year-old to sit perfectly still for an hour. We are reasonable people. They're going to get the wiggles. And that's okay. In fact, it's a beautiful thing. It reminds us that we're about life. And life is active. Believe me, I know my grandson is nine months old and is crawling. Life is much more active. And that's okay. Because that's the stuff of life. That's part of life together. And it allows us to make memories, even as a congregation. My parents were very fond of telling the story that happened one Sunday morning at Clearwater Baptist where I grew up 
my brother was real little. He was maybe four years old. I was a newborn, so I don't remember this. Doug had gotten the wiggles to a severe extent. It got so bad that dad had to stand, pick him up, and take him out to solve this problem from the rear end, if you know, know what I mean. And as they were walking down the aisle, my dad's holding my brother, and Doug, in a loud whisper, said, You all pray for me. That became a bonding moment for that congregation. Now, I'd, they never said if that made the rear end meeting a little worse or better. But that's the stuff of memories and life. That's the stuff that would happen here as they gathered together. So I believe that it will be a blessing to have our children in for a majority portion of our time together. And in fact, I see three benefits that will happen because of this. We will be teaching our children that we are a part of something larger than ourselves. In fact, as we share communion this morning, we're going to be reminded that we are a part of something larger than ourselves. Could you imagine the eyes of the children and they saw all these lean-tos, acres upon acres upon acres of lean-tos that are gathered together? People eating, celebrating, dancing, singing. I think such an emphasis is necessary today to counter the individualism and even even the isolation that many people feel, even as, as children, feeling like I'm not a part of anything, I don't belong. Well, in gathering together, we can help teach them that they are a part of something big. And the second thing is this, that our identity, who we are, is defined by Jesus. These people in Leviticus would gather as the people of God. And the Feast of Tabernacles had a point of teaching them how their very identity as a nation was rooted in God. Look at verse 43. You'll dwell in booths, all native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generation, so that means that every generation, great-grandfather, grandfather, father, son, grandchild, every generation would know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. It goes back to the primary event, the exodus as the marker, the beginning point of the nation of Israel. It was a way of teaching them that they are defined by God's action of salvation. And today as we share communion, we are reminded that we are made by God's action of salvation. As this baptism occurs in the 930 service, we are reminded that we are God's people made by His act of salvation. We are not as a people defined by what we once were. We are defined by who we belong to. We are not defined by our past sins. We are defined by our Savior. He goes back to saying, who are we? We are the church of Jesus, saved by His grace, redeemed by His blood, washed clean by His sacrifice to do, as Nathan said earlier from Romans 6, walk in the newness of life. That means that our actions flow from our relationship with Jesus. The world does not call our cadence. We follow the rhythm marked out by the Lord God Almighty. And we do that as a community. A third reason this is important, I believe, is that it teaches children and gives the opportunity for them to interact with saints who have walked the path before them. You see, part of the, the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles is that as they were sleeping in these lean-tos out under the stars and looking up, 
stories would be told. Under the stars, grandfathers would tell how God called out Abraham out of Ur and led him to the land of Canaan. As they looked at the stars, grandfathers would tell how how God promised to make Abraham's descendants more numerous than the stars. Grandmothers would tell their granddaughters of the women of the faith like Sarah, Miriam, and Deborah. Fathers would tell about God's provision in the wilderness. Mothers would share about God's faithfulness to hear prayers. And in the interactions between the generations, faith would be kindled and models would be found to follow. And that is greatly needed today. Gathering in worship gives a chance before worship begins for there to be the interaction of families with families, children with older saints. That is crucial. Now for that to happen, that means as older saints, whenever these, the pandemic restrictions are lifted a bit and we're really able to talk and to gather, for you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and to engage in getting to know these families with children. I cannot tell you what a blessing that will be. I think of a member of our congregation that passed away several years ago, a man by the name of Bill Donaldson. I think those of you that know Bill would have agreed with me that he was probably one of the godliest men that I ever met. My children still remember talking with him after church. And even on their lives, when they were little, he made an impact upon them. He would ask them, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for for you? And he's asking this of an eight-year-old. And that made an impression. That's the opportunity that we have as our children gather to worship with us. Because that was happening in Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that's part of the community aspect. When we worship, we're not only engaged in community, but we're also engaged in spiritual formation. Every feast, every one of the seven, had a teaching element. And it wasn't just in what I said earlier. In other words, where it gives an opportunity to teach verbally about the faith. Sometimes the teaching comes in the form that things take. In other words, and how things go about. You see, the feast followed a regular pattern. The feast either occurred, uh, the seven feasts, I think three, maybe four of them occurred in the spring. The others occurred in the fall of the year. They occurred at planting time and at harvest time. So apart from anything that was said verbally, the regular pattern of we stop to worship Yahweh in the planting time, we stop to worship Yahweh in the harvest time, it reminds us and teaches us what by the very form that all we have comes from God. And it begins with the cessation of work for a day. In other words, to say we are dependent upon God for all that we have. There was a rhythm to their lives that surrounded what God did. And who he is. In these times God would be teaching them that he is sovereign. He creates the rhythms of life. He provides for us. Now the early church. In other words after Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes. We find no instance whether it be in the New Testament or other documents. That they followed the feast. In other words they recognized that the feast not only pointed to Jesus. But were fulfilled in Jesus. 
But one of the changes the early church made that was radical at the time, and even today, if we stop to think about it, is radical. They changed the day upon which they worshipped. Remember, those of the Jewish faith would worship on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath. But the church that was born out of Judaism began worshiping on a Sunday. Why? To mark the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday. Now, the Apostle Paul goes back and he says, now, it's not really the day of the week that's important. However, the church did begin marking the regular patterns of life with worship. I would remind you that Sunday is not the last day of the week. This is the first day of the week. So we start our week where? With a holy convocation. Normal work stops. And we reflect on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's part of the rhythm of our life. Now I can't speak for you, but I know during those months when we weren't able to gather together and we would come in on Friday or Saturday and record the worship, there were times where I didn't know what day of the week it was. Sunday is my anchor, okay? Everything revolves around Sunday. You know, the old sermon, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. For me, that's every day. It's Tuesday, but Sunday's coming. It's Wednesday, but Sunday's coming. There's a certain rhythm to life. And that's part of what is being taught in the regularity of worship. This pattern of meeting teaches, not just in our words, but even in our songs. I don't need to tell you that music is a powerful instrument. The music and the lyrics we share as a congregation will stay with us. In fact, I dare say the two songs that Chris led us in just before we sang, I bet if I were to take a survey of those my age and older and said, how many of you remember hearing those when you were growing up? Hands would go up. That's part of being in community. You see, our children will be a part of the worship, learning songs that are familiar to us, songs that may be new to us, and they'll start learning in the future songs that haven't been written yet, and guess what will happen? That music will stick with them. So that's part of why it's important. They'll be learning the songs of our faith, who we are in the faith. You see, today, we gather not just as individuals, but we gather as part of the community of faith. We share in communion. You could really say that all the feasts culminate in this. Because in this action, we are being reminded of our Lord's death. His death and resurrection marks us as a people. In the Feast of Tabernacles, they were reminded how God provided for them in the wilderness. We are reminded of how God has provided for us. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration. I failed to mention that it also was the beginning of the Jewish New Year. This was a time where they would celebrate. And the fruit of the vine has always been marked as a symbol of celebration. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, this Old Testament prophet that is not often read speaks of all nations gathering outside of Jerusalem to share in the Feast of Tabernacles. The word for nations is the word peoples, ethnos. 
It's the same word used in the Great Commission where we are told to make disciples of all peoples. So you see, the feast looked forward not only to Jesus' coming and His death and resurrection, but to His second coming also. So this morning, we look forward, even as we look back and remember. So I want to ask you now, just to prepare your hearts and minds to share in communion this morning. I want to ask us to take just a few moments now. In just a moment, Chris is going to come and lead us in song. But I want to ask you to bow your head with me right now. Father, in a few moments, we'll be sharing communion together. And the very act of doing so, Lord, is a testimony that we have placed our faith in you as our Lord and our Savior. Father, we gather as a community, the community of the redeemed. Forgive us if we gather with a sense of pride because we know that we are not saved because of our good works. We are saved because of your grace. And so, Lord, this morning as we share in the Lord's Supper, make us even more mindful of your grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray.